Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wild Bo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and we are broadcasting in front of a live audience in 5, 4, 3, 2, go. Uh, hi, hi. <laughs> My name is Scott. And this, this is the weekly podcast where you and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of Joan Rivers-esque fashion critiques, Cape Jerry Springer, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we've got an extra stuffed episode for you. Uh, Arc 8 is reaching its climax, and we are covering chapters 8.7 all the way through 8.10 after an unexpected week off that we didn't think we were going, going to, to have. Yeah, my throat appreciates it, everyone. Yeah, look, I mean, it sounds all better. It sounds beautiful. It is. We need, that's your moneymaker. I think someone said that, that said (laughs) Matt needs to start referring to his throat as his moneymaker. Yeah. Uh, So we did that. So a couple, I'm so used to saying a couple, four pretty interesting chapters here, Matt. There's a lot going on. Things are definitely coming to a head. We're definitely reaching the climax of this arc. And uh, I think there's a whole bunch to talk about here. We've got tons of pages. It's going to be a long episode because we're covering more than our normal two chapters. It's going to be good, I think. Yeah, I'm glad that we get to cover all of this at the same time because so much of it is is all part of a whole. All four chapters are kind of just, uh, you know, very much embracing the same themes and, and um, there are character beats that are essentially escalating over the course of all four chapters. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It definitely, it's all building to this moment. And, and there are these, there are these little character beats and, and interactions with other characters, meeting new characters that kind of build to this, this feeling that we get at the end of this chapter, which is we're, we're kind of barely, just barely hanging on. And, uh, man, I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. Let's get into some announcements. All right. So first up, Matt, if the, the, the close listeners will hear your intro, uh, sounded a little a little different because right. we have rebranded. Our rebrand is now live. We are no longer called the Daily Planet. We are now Doof Media. Mm-hmm. I love I love saying that so much. Um, we've got a whole new website. You can check it out at doofmedia.com. Um, in the sh- there's a big post there on like why we did this and what does it mean and all this going on. In the short term, uh, if you're a we've got Ward listener. No, nothing's going to change except we're going to say doof a yeah. lot. Um, but we're really excited. Um, I think the website is much slicker and I'm, I'm happy. This has been something I've been wanting to do for a while and I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah. I, I love our new logo. Um, I do too. It's definitely easier for me to say the intro now. <laughs> instead, of, instead of daily planet, daily, po- daily planet blah, 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 podcast blah, blah, production. Blah, blah, yes. Blah, blah, yeah. Yeah, um, it, I think it's I think it's really cool. So uh, you guys let us know what you think. I think it's a very silly name. Um, I know there's some people out there that are like, what what the heck? Where did that come from? Um, I, I think it fits us. I yeah. really do. And I'm came, really happy about it. Yeah, it came from a very deep and wise place. Let us assure you. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I, I don't even remember how that started. But, <laughs> All but right. we're Doof we're Media. Yay. Yeah, Doof Media. Um, yeah. So next announcement, uh, reminder, we have one week left to submit your entry for the fourth Worm Slash Ward quarterly fan art contest. 
Entries are due Friday, August 17th at 11.59 p.m. Central Time. Check out the link in the description of the episode for more details. Yeah, I think it's about it's about this time in the whole process, Matt, that we start getting our first entries in. There's always this this time where like uh, no one sent them in yet, and I'm starting to get worried. Like, um, are we gonna are we gonna get any this time? Um, and then they just start coming in one after another. So it's it's about that time, and I'm really looking forward to see what you guys come up with. Um, I think this was a a, a really great um, theme. Come, I think it was one of our patrons came up with it. I think it was Murder Death Hug came up with this theme, and I'm I'm really really excited about it. So one week, yeah. one week left. Yeah, it's one of my favorite periods of time here, where just just checking the email to see if we have any new submissions and looking yeah. at the amazing things you guys have sent. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Yeah. So community spotlight now, where we read what people wrote from last week's thread. Well, from two, it was from it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Do you guys even remember this question? Discussing the chapters that were published three weeks ago. <laughs> Oops. So the discussion question was compare and contrast Victoria's new hero organization idea with the PRT's organization. My favorite, before we get into these answers, my favorite part about these answers, Matt, was. I feel like each and every person that answered had a different like name for what Victoria's organization is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it the Taylor Maneuver, and but everyone had a different name for it, and I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into that. So, All right. so Reg Vlas says there's a lot less apparent uh, bureaucracy in Victoria's hero organization, the VHO, uh, than the P- than the PRT. Taylor would probably appreciate that. But uh, Regvlas is also worried about the long-term health and accountability of its members. Also, without the bureaucracy, will people just uh, will people show up uh, when the big threats arrive? And that is a, a valid concern. I mean, unless you can basically compel people, if there's a you know, the, the PRT was was a police organization. You know, I don't I don't actually remember. Did they did they compel people to go to Inbringer fights? They they didn't actually. You had to they still you still volunteered, right? Yeah, it was I th- it was always volunteer, but I I do think um well, I think I mean th- I think it was volunteer on the villain side. I feel like well, no, I think they still they still let the teams choose, right? Um but I think it was like I think there was a lot more peer pressure and built in like pushing you um, mm-hmm. towards doing it. Like, it, like, you know, you're on, you're on a team. If, if six out of your team, uh, people on your team are going, you kind of feel. So I think there's some like built in, sh- like just the fact that it was a much more structured controlled organization, there was built in pressure there, um, yeah. to, to attend this where, where maybe this organization would not have that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also inbringers were kind of their own thing that, sure. that there's, there's other threats that might be more ambiguous as to whether yeah. it's an all hands thing or not. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Shinichi, who who has named Victoria's new new wave two wave, um, <laughs> declares that it has an air of openness about it that says that the PRT was supposedly watching the protectorate from a human perspective, but was actually just a, a puppet of Cauldron. Um, it the whole thing was built on a lie. Two wave is is built from the ground up on communication and understanding. So very very different kind of origins for both of these groups that i think will change how they operate on pretty fundamental levels yeah that makes sense um sage of stupidity says that they think that this concept must be executed very carefully as it's going to be extremely hard to execute it needs structure and without it things will naturally devolve into infighting and scattering and isolation 
Um, and they also compare this to to the word of God hypothetical on a world without cauldron and therefore without the PRT. And they say, quoting the, the word of God, I believe, yeah. conflicts are more tightly contained and devastating, recovery is slower, and an area that ends up lost or fucked doesn't get the backup needed to revive. Such areas are abandoned or occupied by whatever groups are willing to make do with the aftermath slash ongoing occupation by X gang or Y high level threat. Yeah, I think this is a really good point um, because and I think it's something actually something I, 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 I really like secretly love about when we ask these questions is when the chapters in the following weeks kind of address some of the things that people bring up in the answers to the questions. And one of this this idea is that like any kind of cape organization that is not kind of influenced by the power of cauldron is going to naturally devolve into fighting and stuff. And that's something that Victoria actually thinks about um, in some of these chapters as the pressures of uh, the outside world kind of kind of threaten to to rip apart the thing she's trying to build. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it, it's it's kind of actually a little bit sad how closely post gold morning earth <laughs> resembles this scenario of, of an earth yeah. with no, with no, with no, uh, PRT or cauldron. Um, and, but we kind of hope, we hope, you know, hope against hope because, you know, this is a, this is a, a parahuman story that, <laughs> that our heroes are going to somehow, uh, band together and, and it's not going to be this bad. No, Matt, this is the one that's positive. Remember, oh, this yes. is, this is going to be the one that everything is good. Yes. Everything. I forgot about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, user Muns for College says that the most crucial difference is that the PRT was legitimizing organization was a legitimizing organization for superheroes. Their function was to create a connection between supers and law enforcement. This gave capes a legal mandate and helped normalize them in society. The issue Victoria's organization is facing is that they are going to lack that legitimacy. But honestly, Munn says this is probably for the best. The PRT gained legitimacy through backdoor shady means and if Victoria's group wants it, they're going to have to earn it the old-fashioned way. And I like that thought a lot. Like, the, the legitimacy of the PRT was gained through subterfuge. They lied. They cheated. Um, if this organization is ever going to be seen as legitimate, it will have to be because of their actions. And yeah, they're going to have to do some hard negotiations and, and public relations um, groundwork, basically, yeah. Get, yeah. Act, actually materially sway public opinion and not just kind of swoop in with overwhelming um, firepower. Yeah, yeah. Cal Subalu says the, uh, the protectorate was at least as much about administering and controlling capes as it was about helping them. Victoria's group is all about collaboration without imposing management on them. The stated goals are completely different. They suspect Victoria's group will act as an intersection, uh, something between a union, a professional association, and a forum for Cape resources and communications. Um, and and Cal Subalu also feels that they will absolutely need to set some basic level of standards like uh, don't kill people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's, again, something that I think is addressed in some of these chapters where they're talking about, hey, what happens if like one of the people you've recruited in your organization, like, goes too far does too much does breaks the rules and they're just like oh well we'll just we'll just kick them out and yeah. it's like that i mean that's that's great in theory but they still did that thing and they did it did it on your command or like not command because she's not the figurehead of the organization but you know if, if if you're representing this whole conglomerate of capes then their actions represent you yeah i mean we're starting to get into this this idea of pr 
and yeah and a lot of it is like well how can you spin it you know like like you just said if 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 one of your associates does something bad that can be anything from ruinous to inconsequential depending on kind of how you can spin your connection to them and and your level of responsibility yeah yeah absolutely yeah all right. FIP Industries says uh, they echo earlier comments about the, how the PRT seemed most concerned with projecting a positive public image of capes and say that Victoria's group is much more focused on intercommunication between groups and less about projecting a positive image, though I think as we'll see, Matt, that that they realize through this chapter that that projecting that positive image still very much matters no matter what your stated goal as an organization is. Mm-hmm. Um, they go on to point out how thematically fitting it is that Victoria is basically trying to establish something that Taylor always wanted to do but never truly could achieve more communication, less in fighting capes not being brought down by petty squabbling. Um, they go on to speculate that uh, that this might be indicative of the capes one day collectively dealing with the trauma of Kepri. And, and they point out that goddess could be seen as kind of a dark reflection of Kep- Kepri, all her powers and her desires taken to the extreme. And I like that line of thinking. I like that this, this idea that as the capes start communicating, hopefully under Victoria's organization and come together and group up, this is kind of a reflection of what what Taylor forced them to do at the end of the last story and, and what that could trigger in them as far as dealing with that, that collective trauma they had. Yeah, th- that's really interesting to, I mean, I, I think the comparison between goddess and Kefri is, is a good one. I, I also think that there's um, some room to compare goddess and Victoria um, in terms of um, power set and possibly outlook as being like foils for each other as characters. But yeah, we don't know, we don't know that much about goddess yet. Um, I mean, I think we're absolutely going to explore that for yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've already like, I've already thought of like, I guess we'll get into it this chapter. I see, see, sometimes I think it was like, no, we already talked about that, but no, we haven't yet. It's just, I wrote it a week ago. I just haven't right. talked about it. Yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, free Buddha compares Victoria's organization to the loose allegiance cauldron formed in arc 25 of worm the groups working together to fight the real threats maintain order and play their trump cards when they could afford to but neither group uh none of the groups have have public approval or any real allegiances to each other um yeah that's that's it's basically it's a it's a coalition with shared aims but they don't actually owe anything to each other and that's um that yeah that is very reminiscent of that uh um yeah, there never was a name for it, was there? No, it um, was just, just, it's yeah. just the world's ending. Help. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody just yeah. has a seat around the big brown room. Sure, sure. All right, Stuck in Reddit Factory says the main difference between Antares' CAPE organization, which he's named ACO, and the PRT is a lack of a simple, clear end goal. Cauldron and therefore the PRT had Scion. The ACO can start on this because the ACO does not have this big looming end thing they can start on the street level and they can focus on keeping an eye on things as they develop they're they're, they're not subject to the cold calculus of utilitarianism stuck in Reddit factory says um which is a really great point um but this also controversially means they say that they might struggle to counter the really big threats which is uh, i think a an, a thing we've seen echoed along a lot of these answers this idea that this organization might work for like dealing with things as they come up, but for like the big threats, the, the S class stuff, um, they, it might not work. And I think that's interesting that this, this idea that 
the only way to combat stuff at this big level is is something more structured that forces people to come together than this loose this loose organization of capes yeah i'm i'm turning over in my head whether i agree with the statement that the the aco uh doesn't have an end goal i mean victoria definitely has a a role in mind for what it is and I, I i guess yeah you wouldn't call that an end goal because the point isn't like you you defeat the bad guy and then and then there's no purpose for the organization anymore it is more of an ongoing thing yeah um yeah i don't know that, that that's an interesting point yeah i mean i would i would I wouldn't say like I don't I don't even think stuck in Reddit factory said that they don't have a goal just that mm-hmm. it's not like it's not this clear focused like that's the thing that's the the thing we're trying to stop and that's all we care about is this one thing it's the end goal is much more broad much more yeah. um, just improve things make things better yeah yeah so next uh, Kyrgyzstan says uh, Victoria's hero organization the VHO uh, has a profound <laughs> lack of of mundane logistical support distinct from any discussion of legitimate of legitimacy um of of involving muggles in the organization or whatever um and they say the prt slash protectorate had established relationships with the rest of the criminal justice system it was part of the system it had officers to provide eyes and boots on the ground it had holding cells it had containment foam yes uh it had reserved radio frequencies Heck, it had radios. Beyond all of that, it had normal everyday things like any real organization of any size needs to function. Offices, administrators, accountants, secretaries, janitors, lawyers, PR, IT, HR, etc. Uh, uh, this will all affect the group's ability to appropriately manage itself and fight crime. Um, and then Kyrgyzstan goes on to say that there's nothing wrong with her group being more of a club than an organization. But the second you start expecting it to be more than that the issues will really, really start to present themselves. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, obviously the way Victoria's organization is built does not need all this, um, all this logistical support because it's not that kind of group. But if you start leaning on this as like, okay, the wardens are gone. This loose coalition of capes is all we have left. So let's make them responsible for everything. And it's just not, it's not built to function like that. Yeah, um, it, it it's it, it's based on favors, right? It's based on quid pro quo, and yeah, and yeah. It, it's a very different sort of like you know the the capes are all individual, all all the teams are individually covering their own territories, and they're they're reaching out as needed and they're offering help as needed. But it's nothing like you know the PRT got government funding. It was a the massive, well funded organization. And it's just not, yeah, it's just not comparable in terms of what it can accomplish. Yeah. I mean, we, we see that here. We see like Victoria's having to weigh whether or not to use Kenzie to her full extent because the, the organization needs her or whether to ask other people for help. And I think it's this constant push pull when you're kind of like operating in your own little silos, you only have the resources of your silo and you feel like you need to use them. Um, especially when she's the one trying to put this whole thing together. And I think that creates a lot of tension and conflict when you, you, you want your, you want to do things as if you have the resources that a thing like the PRT would have, but you just, just don't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Stell Hex says, um, this was one was really interesting. They said that they've, they've, 
named Victoria's thing the new approach, and it was being led by an Alexandria package, Victoria, um, which led to an interesting comparison of the two organizations with their leaders' powers and how they use them. Alexandria's invulnerability was absolute, with Contessa's backing in the weight of the OG protectorate's reputation. The nascent PRT's success was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Vicky's invulnerability, on their hand, can get taken out by two hits. Her new approach seems pretty shaky by comparison. Alexandria is an intellectual powerhouse. Vicky has an emotional affecting aura. The protector was a secret, secretive utilitarian scheme, whereas the new approach has a simple, honest, emotional appeal. And lastly, Alexandria flies straight in and bashes Leviathan in the face. Victoria bobs and weaves and sneaks and maneuvers because of her uh, her invulnerability not being permanent. Um, so this this shows that the PRT's approach was straightforward, static, location based, while the new approach is all about picking the right people for the right battles. Um, and I, I like this comparison a lot. I mean, I think it's it's very fitting. And I don't know if this was something intentionally constructed, but it still feels right. Yeah, I mean, I, I while you were saying all that, I was also thinking about how, you know, Alexandria was like being doubly deceptive. Like not only was she a woman mm-hmm. in a costume named Alexandria, but she was also sort of wearing a costume in, in the role of Costa Brown. Um, and Victoria, in contrast, has has one identity. She yeah, has, has no she, secret identity. Yeah, yeah she has. She has there's no yeah there's uh there's no deception at all there's even less than the average cape so that's cool yeah all right so that wraps up our uh, uh, discussion question and thanks for your input everybody yeah there were so many great responses to that we actually had to cut some out just because there were so many this time around so sorry if, if yours got on the the chopping block um it's a really long episode and we already spent 20 minutes on the discussion question. Yep. So we're going to move right along. That's right. All right. Dot eight dot seven. Uh, the chapter opens with Victoria thinking over the current situation with all the other teams doing their own things, but keeping in touch with Victoria's information hub. There's teams we haven't heard of suggesting that the operation has grown since we last checked in. Yeah, I think it's this really hopeful opening. Um, especially for the world we're living in. Victoria and Breakthrough have had their first real success, their first test of this new idea of hers, and they won. And they're seeing the results of it. Teams are reaching out. Teams that had taken a break are now rolling up again and saying, hey, we're we're back and we're going to help out. It's it's that part of it that I wanted to specifically point out here because she mentions this group called Shorewatch and how they had taken a break, but they're back now. And she says Shorewatch's situation wasn't so dissimilar from us. We'd taken a break to reel to attend to our individual group members. That's kind of it's kind of revisionist history on Victoria's part, isn't it? Um, yeah. Like here here's how she described their break back in chapter seven dot four. We're not really a team. We're mostly going our own separate ways. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Huh. Remember when Kinsey had to like trick them all to into remaining a team by showing them the the past video of the bomb makers? <laughs> right. And they were all like, no, Kenzie, this won't work. We're not a team anymore, Kenzie. No, we were just taking a break, guys. Is It's a, it's the whole Ross and Rachel situation all over <laughs> again. I mean, like you could technically argue when Victoria said this, she was mostly just like she was performing like she always thought they were going to get back together, but she didn't want to admit to that. So she was just being performative, especially when that quote I just read was her talking to her mother. But I think I think it is it is telling that she's looking at the time right after the fallen war as just a planned break to work on our own shit with the idea that we're definitely 
definitely going to get back together, mm-hmm. um, which it that's not really what it was. Um, so it, it's just like this this idea that the the their team being on the verge of breaking up just they, they've they've glossed over that entirely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that I think you can carry this forward to Shorewatch. You can if we're looking at Victoria's organization as a team that were just on a break, but now they're back. Maybe Shorewatch was the same way. Maybe this is a team that really was just like they had they had basically broken up and Victoria's plan has given them hope and given them purpose. And now they're coming back together. Uh, and I think that's really cool to look at look at it like that, that that what she's doing is is inspiring people to help people. Yes, it's it's the beacon. Exactly. Which we we pointed out last time. But I mean, it's it's clearly serving that role in this arc. So there's a mention of the major malfunctions, kid heroes with small uh, and and, and small timers who've never really gotten into the swing of hero work. Yeah, these I think these these guys will play a little bit of a bigger role in the next chapter. Um, So I'm going to avoid saying too much about them right now. One thing I did want to point out is is how Victoria and by extension, the reader kind of are primed to hate them. Um, and, and I think we're going to end up loving them later. But look at look at how they're introduced. Um, they're intru- they, they didn't use the email format that Victoria requested. There were so many spelling grammar errors that she legitimately thought it was just a prank. She describes their costumes in the pictures when she looks them up as terrible. <laughs> and they were recommended by the anime team that she hates so much. And and we all know Victoria hates anime. Um, <laughs> and yet... And yet, after all this priming to not like them, we leave this interaction with kind of a positive image of them. And and why is that? Because Victoria says this one thing. She says they were teenagers and now they'd been kids when and they, they'd been kids when they were triggered. They'd stayed heroes across six years and they'd stayed together. That had to count for something. So we just we just were talking about how her her team was just on a break they weren't going to break up they were always going to get back together um communication all this stuff we were just talking about that the stuff and and then we have this team here that stayed together throughout all this stayed together through the end of the world and so despite the fact that they seem almost like designed to annoy victoria the fact that that the them staying together is enough for her to overlook all the annoyances of them is is showing victoria's the, the importance she places on on teams, on relationships and and how important that is in her mind at this point. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of that kind of thing, not just about breakthrough, but even about new wave and, and you know, her mom's feelings about that yeah. and, and what it means to be able to stick together through hard things. And this is why I'm so happy that we actually got to cover all four of these chapters, because I think yeah. there is there is a direct line from from this appreciation of the major malfunctions to that conversation with Carol. Yeah, I, I agree. So now uh, Tristan checks in with her. Um, and at this point, I feel like we need to institute a uh, hair watch because Tristan has painted his hair orange red again. And, and I'm convinced <laughs> it means something. I, I think you're right. I think the. the if we look at his hair in general, the loudness of his hair is always meant to me an effort to make him stand out, to differentiate himself. Um, that he, people he wants people to know when they look at him immediately. I am Tristan. This is not Byron. I am me. I am unique. I am myself. And he he washed the stuff out for the courtroom proceedings, but but he kind of like the in the the craziness that followed everything. He kind of kept it out, and I wonder. 
I wonder if if that was I mean, that was part of him reeling from breakthroughs break and the loss of his role and purpose on the team. He had kind of lost his identity. Now the team has gotten back together. They have this plan. They have this whole organization they're trying to build. And now he has his purpose again. And now he has his his hair again. Yeah, yeah, I, I I viewed it as as it's sort of like his his armor, his yeah. his personal armor, his way of of saying like I'm 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 back, I'm ready to to soldier on and and, and put my face out there and, and yeah. actually pay attention. You know, one thing that occurs to me, especially with this character, is that he basically has half a life. He has half half of his 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 days are not available to him. So when you think about it, every act of personal hygiene or or aesthetics takes twice as much of his day as it would if you were if you were if he didn't have this problem right so the choice to paint his hair is even more significant it's it's even more of a yeah i, I am going to devote some of my extremely precious time to this this little piece of just uh something i think looks nice and it tells you kind of that he's he's willing to that that's where his head is that he's thinking He's he's got the uh, he's got his energy back. Maybe he's got his focus back and he's able to, you know, devote devote time and energy to stuff like that now. That's a really fantastic point. I, I completely agree with that. And and I, I love that that idea that everything you choose to do when you only have half the time means that much more. Like, yep. like, I mean, Jesus, going to the gym. It's hard enough to go to the gym when you have 24 hours in your day, right. let alone 12. Yeah, yeah. no. And, yeah. and and he do, and he does that too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's uh, it's it's rough, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, we're we're kind of looking over all of our characters. Next, we have Sveta, who seems to have gotten gussied up, gone shopping, apparently without Victoria, uh, which bumps her out slightly. Yeah, which I mean, this is really interesting because we were talking about a couple weeks ago that Sveta is kind of in the background like not doing well. And every time there gets to a point where maybe Victoria is going to talk to her about how she's doing and how this is going, something else comes up and it kind of gets pushed to the side. And now we see her, you know, dressing herself up and going, going shopping. I see someone that's like really diving into this idea of projecting a vision of a person who's doing good. I'm, I'm gussied up. I'm, I'm made up. I'm doing okay. Like good clothes can make you feel good, especially when you're feeling super insecure about yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And and so that's that's something that Sveta seems to be focusing on a little bit. Um, yeah. Did did you? Um. Uh, I kind of had this inference at this point, like th- that maybe maybe Tristan and Sveta, um, like went shopping together, and that's why that's why. Uh, Tristan seems a bit more put together and why Sveta seems to be um, dressed better. But but then yeah. there's not, but like Tristan isn't actually wearing new clothes. He just has the new hair. So maybe that's not true. I, I, I don't know if there's anything like textually to d- declare that or not, but I, I mean, it's certainly interesting. And, yeah. I, you know, I yeah, think, I, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's 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 meaningful that this is something she did without Victoria, um, mm-hmm. especially since they had they have had conversations in the past about going shopping together. They have a conversation in the future about going shopping together. But she did this without her. And yeah. There's also this really this really tiny beat that I found particularly interesting here. It, it, they take the time to point out that her wig was brushed and her tattoo at her cheek was left uncovered by makeup, um, almost as if that was an intentional choice. It was something she 
she she was not going to hide her tattoo. She was not going to hide her her cauldron past and what mm-hmm. that could mean about her state of mind. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting. We've got both of these characters potentially saying quite a lot with their relatively minor um, choices and how they present themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So now Victoria starts to sketch out her plan to delegate the task of spying on the prison staff of the parahuman prison to other teams, uh, and then the kids arrive. Yeah, I think this is when she basically says, I don't think it's a good idea to put all this on Kenzie. And I think we should give her points for that, right? I mean, yeah. she's she's at least conscious of the fact that um, to do all of this big ticket spying is probably not best for the mental health of the girl who like has a, a constant desire to know everything that's going on. And yeah. I think the, the big thing is, will you stick with this when the the chips are down like it, it's, it's very easy to stand here now and say I don't think it's a good idea for her to do this it's a lot different than when when we're in crisis mode and suddenly we need you we need you to do your thing now right yeah we desperately need this information yeah. Yeah. I think it's very interesting here that that Tristan in this moment is the one that kind of pushes the most against not using Kenzie mm-hmm. um he's he like and i think it's interesting because we've been talking about how victoria was kind of putting all her eggs into this this group this tailor maneuver basket and and maybe not focusing on the problems of her team as much but maybe that was misplaced maybe it's tristan that's more tristan that that now he's got his hair he's got his role he's going full force ahead with this thing and he's pushing forward at the expense of everything else including his teammates and maybe his brother yeah, I mean, we've been warned about him many times that this right. was a trait of his, that once he gets his eye on on the goal, it's very difficult. He, he sees people as obstacles or he just doesn't yeah. see them at all. And yeah. and yeah, I think you're right here. But I think what we're seeing in Victoria here is a person being pulled in just so many, so many different directions because she knows her job on the team is to keep an eye out for everyone. That's what she feels is her duty. Uh, it's it's the thing that, that Jessica asked her to do and it's the thing that she's going to continue doing now that jessica's gone make sure they're doing okay that they don't slip up that they don't regress any of this stuff but she also really really wants this plan of hers to work she wants it to be successful she wants to be a hero and she's having like back and forth conversations with herself about whether that's um a a desire that comes from herself or that was implanted in her by her mother but regardless it's something she wants and it's this push and pull between these things that is causing all this internal conflict in her because if i use kenzie i'll maximize the chance of success of my group but but what's the cost if i focus on too much on this plan will i miss stuff with sveta she she went shopping without me i'm missing things and it's just this push and pull between wanting success and all these different things that's just kind of like like pulling her to her limit and and that's when i get worried yeah right because i think it's worth spelling out that like the these things are in some sense in tension with each other like you yeah. can't both take care of these people and push them to pursue some completely separate goal involving fighting a, a terrible, you know, p- potentially terrible threat. Those are those are those are incompatible, and I don't want to say they're incompatible, but th- there's there's certainly 
there, there's certainly tension between them. You can't maximize yeah. them both at the same time. Yeah, and, and I think this is what makes Victoria such an interesting character for me because it's this inherent conflict, these inherent tensions between all the different things that she wants and or needs. Um, they're, like they're just pulling against each other constantly. She wants all these things and you can't, you can't have them all. Where do you make the choices? Where do you decide to go one way or another? And I think that's, that's why she's like so fascinating to read. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so I know we talked about this a lot, but it's really clear in this section how effectively Wildbow is using the Victoria is really interested in fashion <laughs> trait uh, to convey enormous amounts of character information because the, the the kids come in and Chris looks exhausted and he's carrying a huge amount of stuff on his person. He's got these heavy bag and a fanny pack that leads us to make all kinds of 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 you know assumptions about what he's been up to sveta is looking like she put a ton of effort into her appearance tristan after seeming on the verge of breakdown recently has painted and carefully sculpted his hair and put a lot of energy into his appearance natalie is almost dressed nicely <laughs> and looks worried um it, like, like it's kind of like taylor's toolbox but it's victoria's fashion corner we'll, we'll workshop that okay yeah um but uh, she interprets reality through this lens to, to a degree, and it conveys a lot of what needs to be conveyed about the other characters. Yeah, I mean, watching watching that lens through which Victoria interprets the world is continually fascinating to me. And we had a conversation about some stuff today that she did that I think we'll get to in a few chapters. But mm-hmm. I think this is this is really it is a very wonderful narrative device that is is used very effectively to convey information to the reader. But I, I think we need to be cautious about relying on it too much. Um, it is very true that the way you dress and the way you present yourself to the world does say something about you. But relying too much on that presentation can be dangerous. The two Victoria well-dressed put together fashion is almost universally a positive thing. It means the person, her interpretation is, hey, this person cares about their appearance. They're doing okay. Look at them. But we know for a fact that that's not inherently true. I mean, look at look at Kenzie, who is always like by design, this impeccably put together looking person when underneath it all, um, she's suffering and and losing it. But you can't see that on the surface because she designs it that way. So I, I think I think that that's this is that's interesting. It's a narrative device that allows us to have an excuse to learn um, about people's uh, how they're doing by what they're wearing through through Victoria. But I also worry that she's relying she's leaning on it too much. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a bit unreliable because people can people can mislead. Right. That's yeah, that's definitely true especially when it comes to the other side of the coin, when people are not dressed well, because we go back to Natalie, mm-hmm. <laughs> Natalie, who Victoria just loves to hate. I love this moment where, where, where Victoria feels the need in her internal narrative to point out that she's wearing the jacket that I'd seen her in before, which right. is like this, this very like subtle fashion dig. It's like, Oh, yeah. rewearing a jacket. eh? Right. Um, and, and like you were so if, if the belt hadn't also been black, you would have been you. It would have worked so nicely. You were so close to finally doing something right. And it's just this like I think we're going to see a lot about Natalie throughout these chapters. And I think a lot of the development of her, her character is related to the changing way the team looks at her. And, and we kind of start this off and reestablish this in this chapter as you suck because you can't dress right. 
and we go from there. Yeah, I mean, it, which is kind of ridiculous because, like, this is the end of the world. <laughs> right. And, right. and like, may, maybe Natalie is just, like, using a whole bunch of clothes that may not even be hers. And she's like, all right, well, I got to put together an outfit out of this bag of clothes that I have here. Uh, yeah. None of it matches. This is the best I can do. It's not like I can go to the 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 jc penny <laughs> right right or whatever whatever it is uh yeah so we also learned that uh apparently brooding anger uh, chris's form didn't get to uh vacate his fetal grubs so some of them had to come out of chris the old-fashioned way gross really gross yeah one of, so the, the thing that was really interesting to me about this is whenever chris says something gross about these grubs um we always cut away to natalie and her uncomfort with it and it's almost as if like victoria is seeing this gross stuff and then looking at natalie and being like what's her reaction gonna be to this like everyone else in the room is talking about how horrifying and gross this is but we don't see any of their reactions victoria only mentions natalie's reaction and i wonder if this is like specifically drawn to kind of otherize her she's uncomfortable she's not part of the group she can't hack it i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into that um no, I don't I don't think you are. I mean, because whenever Victoria is paying attention to Natalie, I think it matters because by default, I don't think she really pays much attention to Natalie. So it's almost like she's looking to Natalie like like, yeah, I, I dare you say something, you know. Um, yeah. And and Natalie's she's not being rude. She's just like genuinely disturbed by these creepy things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, you know, speaking of all the chris stuff we have uh tristan says referring to kind of his 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 grub things let's not terrorize people too much that thing was horrifying and then chris replies that thing was me anyway i'm done talking about this and it struck me here not really for the first time actually that it it probably doesn't feel good to constantly be told how creepy and weird you are especially as a young adolescent uh even if you like seem outwardly to be really cool with it yeah, I think it's it's really easy to otherize the things Chris turns into because we can we can separate them from who Chris is. There's Chris and then there's this monster. But they are him. They are a right. part of him. He is transforming into these things. I mean, no one would tell Sveta she's gross and creepy because she is just that's who she is. She doesn't transform. That's just who she is. But but we can do that to Chris because it's 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 separate from him. But it's not. It's not. Right. And and I, I can understand why he would be the type of person whose hackles would be up because people kind of constantly do that to him. Yeah, yeah. When he's running around being these creepy things and people are looking at him like he's horrifying, he's looking right back at him. You know, that's yeah. Right. It, yeah. It's easy to forget. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now before we move on, we have to have this week on another exciting episode of Natalie Makes Good Points, but her belt doesn't match, so fuck her. Um, okay. because, because they're talking about tracking people, about surveilling some of the people that they think did wrong stuff. And Natalie says very sensibly, this kind of tracking sounds extreme, to which Victoria responds, standard cop surveillance, lots of waiting, no peeking, um, maybe thinkers poke their head in. And Natalie asks a very reasonable question that says how do you enforce this if it's hired help and then the simple answer is well if they screw around or bend the rules we cut them off and then they just move on <laughs> it's just done 
And I think you could maybe put this on, on Natalie for like not like pushing back enough. I think that's one thing that like we, we see that Victoria and the rest of the group like ignore her opinions a lot. But she also kind of like just gives them and then she gets pushed back against and then kind of gives up. Um, yeah. But but also like they, she's here for a reason. Like the, right. the, she's here to, to say these things. We've said yeah. this before. Every time every time she's offered advice, we, we, we have to remind ourselves that they asked her to be here. It's not like she's like a mandated thing. Exactly. She's, she's their consultant. And yeah. if they're not committed to getting value out of her, then it's not going to happen. Like she, right. she's not there. She's not there. Pigo. She's, she's not there to be like, Oh, hold on, hold on now. You're not allowed to do that. She's just like, well, that sounds sketchy and they're free to just ignore her, which they tend to. And that's totally on them. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think I put it on them. Yeah. 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 So next, uh, Rain mentions that he's not making any headway with Crystal Clear because the guy is suspicious of him. Which, I mean, to be fair, this is probably a good call, Crystal Clear. If some rando walks up to you and it's like, hey. Yeah. Got some information on things. Right. I'm with the Fallen. I mean, I was with the Fallen. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Um, so Ashley is also rankled at having to refer to the blue woman as goddess, which is just perfect. Oh, isn't it though? It's yeah. like there's only one goddess here and her name is Ashley. Yeah. I love it. Right. I love it. You can absolutely see her, her thought process. Yeah. I mean, like she, she doesn't like, I mean, she wants to be the king of the hill. She wants to be yeah. at the top. So yeah. Re- referring to people like that is, is unacceptable for unacceptable. Ashley. Unacceptable. Yeah. There's a lengthy discussion of how to approach the threat of goddess and why she may be trying to collect mind controllers. And I want to talk to you about this for a minute because I'm super into this line of thinking because we have this woman who took took over her planet and presumably controls it with an iron fist and maybe some mind control. There's this assumption that they all have and that we see throughout this conversation that as soon as she's gone, the entire world fell into chaos and that her entire motivation here is to get some high powered mind control capes to gather an army, go home and take back her world to resume command of her world. But I don't know. It just, that just seems too neat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and their understanding of this woman and her world also like is just too in line with their expectations of it. I can't help but wonder if we're setting up something a little different here, something a little unexpected here because we, we have lines like this. Her lieutenants were pulled out of her world. No more capes to control things. We don't know how the population reacted. Riots, Chris said it have to be. And they all just kind of assume that like, yeah, like, like it, it, it'd have to be, it, it got, everyone was being controlled. They would immediately go into chaos. There'd be riots. There'd be death. There'd be confusion. It'd be terrible. And I think Goddess's Earth will be a very interesting method of exploring the different possible outcomes of a cape-ruled society. And, I mean, because this is Wild Bo's work, we have to say that that declaring something, like, objectively worse than all other things, like, the, like objectively, this is terrible, this is bad, is not something he does in his stories very often. So I'm just very curious to see here how, what, what, what the the what life on this world is and if it's i think it's too simple to just fall in line with our characters expectations yeah i mean they seem to be a little bit in awe of goddess they seem to have like they've heard the stories she sounds she sounds like you know a terrible distant threat 
inhuman basically but the fact is we know she is human she has concerns and fears and i think we're gonna see she's a lot more complex than they're assuming at some point yeah and there's i mean i think the fact that we hit this beat so many times i think is telling that like once again here's another quote her civilians might outnumber our civilians but they hate her there's no loyalty she took over her world and it was a hostile occupation this is all assumptions they don't they don't know this for sure and i think we see with with monkeros in a few minutes the idea of being a slave to goddess has a lot of appeal to her she wants it and and you could you could write this off as just part of like a power or mind control or something but i don't know i just don't know and i think once again we have to circle back to the idea that this book is exploring religion and spirituality and what these things mean and here's a character whose name is literally goddess so i i just don't think i don't i think we're setting it up to to subvert our character's expectations on what's going on in this world, what's going on with this character, what's going on with her motivations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, So Victoria and Sveta now review the footage of Ashley's conversation with Monokeros. Monokeros, Cat Lee, describes her child-killing habits in sufficiently creepy serial killer tones. She tells Ashley that she's been promised by Goddess that she'll get more kids to kill and she'll be remade as beautiful if she serves her. Yeah, I mean, this is this is some real fucked up writing here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, like I I pulled the quote out. I don't even want to read it anymore. <laughs> I just yeah. like I think I think it's it's very good writing. I think you can feel like the pleasure in her voice as she says these terrible, terrible things. Um, but yeah, damn, it's yeah. Holy shit. We, we, we really get this kind of disgusting in, in these stories. Um and yeah, you kind of, uh, this is a great moment for Ashley too, overall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah, so like she's, you know, Monokuro says she doesn't really want Kenzie because Kenzie's face is scarred and she only goes after people she considers to be beautiful. And this made this, this insult makes Ashley furious and she defends Kenzie as the first person she would want as a subordinate teammate or friend. Which, which in classic Ashley fashion, friend is the last one on that yeah. list. But it's it's wonderful. But I, I I love her so much, and I think it's it's interesting that we like set this up at the in this chapter, and then we don't really pay it off yet. Like because we are Ashley specifically tells Kenzie not to listen to this, and we are told at the end of this chapter that she did anyway. She heard what was said, and that that's just kind of a kernel we leave with the reader about like like I think I think. Ashley says something to the effect of like, it wouldn't like it wouldn't take much, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right here. Watch her. My gut feeling is it wouldn't take much. And Victoria says, I'll try. And that's just like this really ominous beat to kind of leave the chapter with. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think uh, we're supposed to be worried about this, this element here and, and about our, our poor Kenzie who, is by the end of these chapters in a very vulnerable place. Yeah. There was something here that really, I I hadn't thought of it before. And we were talking earlier about how Tristan is kind of frustrated by Victoria's unwillingness to use Kenzie um, and and how that may be a symbol of how he's like full, full speed ahead. And he does, he's, he's less worried about the health of his teammates and he just needs to have this job and this role. But we see in this moment when, when, when Ashley and, and Victoria are having this moment of like, oh shit, Kenzie heard, Tristan says, I don't get it. 
he says, like, what, what are you guys talking about? I don't get it. He's like watching and confused. And it made me realize that, like, they haven't really shared the details of Kenzie stuff with the group. I mean, we don't we don't know what how much Kenzie shared, but we do know that Ashley knew stuff that none of the rest of them did. And then Victoria, through her dinner, gained a knowledge of this stuff, too. So maybe it's less that Tristan is is ignoring the health of his teammates and more that he just doesn't have a full grasp of the level of problem that Kenzie's going through right now. So he's just less concerned about it. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, they don't they don't really talk about each other behind their backs um, yeah. too much. And they don't really seem to have had a big powwow where they all just put on the table like this is what's going on. So, yeah, it's it's quite plausible. I agree. Which is interesting that this whole organization, this whole plan is around communication and sharing of information between groups. And so many of the characters within this group are still hiding things from each other. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we, there's there are still characters in this group where we're just like, yep, I don't know what their deal yep, is. Yep, I have no idea. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Yeah, that wraps up 8.7. And then we can move on into 8.8. .8. Uh, and perhaps I'm making too much of it, but I thought a lot about the fact that the first part of this chapter is our group was splitting up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're making too much of it. It's the opening sentence of the chapter. It's setting the tone for the chapter. And it comes right after, again, we just had this whole conversation about our team almost broke up and then they came together and they formed this plan of Victoria's. They had their first win. We were closer together than ever before. And now and we're, we're all splitting up. And I think, I think especially when you put this in comparison with how this chapter ends, um, when like shit hits the fan, I think this is a very telling opening line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interestingly there's not much else in this chapter that kind of dovetails with that but perhaps it's just meant to be a beat of ominousness i think so so um really all that's happening though is they're all running separate errands in this chapter uh, victoria flies to the tent city and touches base in person with the major malfunctions we heard about last chapter we get very detailed descriptions of their costumes and victoria learns quite a bit about their powers um we've got Finale, withdrawal, and caryatid. Um, I, I don't think we get finale's power, uh, but uh, withdrawal is a boy tinker in an agility frame with a giant syringe full of pink liquid, and caryatid is cocooned in a yellow dress and has a breaker form that makes her invulnerable but uh, limits her mobility. Yeah, so let's talk about these guys for a little bit. Um, I want to remind you, from our last chapter that the first interaction with them was guys that seem to annoy the shit out of Victoria, but we left on that positive note. And, and I, I think she, we have to remember that she describes their costumes in the beginning as terrible, but then we have this interaction after she sees, I think it's finale's costume that she likes the most. And she says, these guys had apparently spent years without much luck on the villain hunting front, but they'd at least spent time to find costumes that were pretty darn good for the slapdash short. That her costume was simple and effective was a point for her in particular. Now, their costumes are not perfect. She admits that. And, and she doesn't exactly hold back on how not perfect they are. But she's also way more understanding of their slapdash style than we've seen of her being of like, I don't know, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like and, and I think this goes back to what you we were talking about last chapter that Victoria really, really, really values the idea of a bunch of heroes coming together and just trying to make it on their own and staying together through thick or thin, um, especially when they're people that like are so ignorant of all like the nerdy power studies she loves to do. So she gets to not only like respect them, but then like share her nerdy information with them. She gets to kind of be a teacher, which she likes to do a lot. Um, I think just very, it's just very fascinating how these guys are positioned in our protagonist's mind. Yeah, definitely. This is a really interesting section because she's so, she's so positive with them. She's so present. She, we learn like, we get these really, like I said, detailed descriptions of their costumes. Yeah. She's she's putting a lot of energy into analyzing and thinking about them, problem solving with them, um, and and yeah. Then she's also she also expresses her what she wants to do with them. Here she says the wardens and the protector were sponges trying to soak up everything they could. We want to empower, um, which is Victoria answering our discussion question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Victoria. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, it's not a super positive view on the protectorate either, right? Like, yeah, yeah. We just want to take it all and soak it all up. It's kind of understandable she'd have that view coming yeah. from her new wave background that's where true. they were probably like, no, we don't want to work under the umbrella of the protectorate. And, you know, she probably absorbed some of that mentality from her mom. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's obviously a lot going on with this team. Like, they've they've been together for six years. They're like a family. Uh, Finale is immature, perhaps developmentally disabled, perhaps developmentally afflicted by her power. We're not sure exactly. Yeah. And I think like Victoria, I found myself kind of endeared to these kids. Um, mm-hmm. There, There is something going on for sure. We we don't learn Finale's power. We She describes it as lame, but the rest of the group seems to think it's awesome. And and yeah, we get that beat that it might be doing something to her. Her power might be be halting her her development in some way. So there's this kind of concerning mystery here. But they all just they're just so eager, Matt, like they're just so eager and excited to be doing something and to be happy. I mean, look at this, like we'll do it. You can count on us. The conviction and the determination caught me off guard. This isn't paid work. I want to make sure, you know, I know, he said, we know we want to help. It's it's like she's so surprised by their eagerness that she's like, do they think they're getting money for this? <laughs> um, and no. And no, they just want to be a part of this. They just want to help. They just want to do good. And I'm excited for them. But at the same time, I can't help but be worried here because I remember Natalie's warnings in the back of my head from last chapter. Like you're empowering this group of very inexperienced teenagers to do something they've never done before. They've never done a stakeout. They admit this. Um, Victoria really doesn't fully understand all their powers, but she respects them and likes them. So she's going to hand a lot of responsibility to them as part of this new thing she's trying out um, without ever really like considering the consequences of that. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Like these, these guys have never been in a fight. They don't really understand how this stuff works. They, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you don't, you don't, you're not, if you're doing like a mob, you know, you're trying to wiretap the mob or whatever, you don't go up to some kids at the park who were like, yeah, we really want to help. We really want to be cops when we grow up. Oh, okay. Well that here, take this uh, directional microphone and go sit on that bench (laughs) and, and, uh, and spy on that guy over there. 
and uh, don't let him know that you're spying on him. And if you get into a fight, uh, you know what to do, right? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. All right. See you later. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're definitely being thrown into the deep end of the pool and just being told, okay, just figure it out. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I think it, I think it's it's very fitting, though, because I think we're setting up their eagerness for a reason here. At the end of this chapter, we'll see Victoria's plans, the, your organization, like hit a huge bump in the road as as the lookout stories appear. Um, and I actually wrote this last week, but I turned out to be right that I, I, I said I was curious that if we're establishing the major malfunctions as so eager that we're, we're going to set them up as one of the only groups that would be willing to stick by the team after all this stuff breaks. And we find out that that is indeed true, that they are one of the few that are, are willing to, to hang around still. Yep. So yeah, so Victoria then returns to base. Tristan is there having begged Byron for more time. And he says, uh, I was antsy, I begged. I owe him time later now. He thinks this is important. I'm worried, Matt. <laughs> I'm really yeah. worried. He thinks this is important. Is a very uh -huh. interesting line here. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I don't want to assume, but does he think this is important? <laughs> Or did you just decide that he thinks this is important? And I think we're kind of going to see the truth of that in a, a couple chapters. And I, it occurs to me now that we've we've seen over and over again about how Tristan has gotten more time from Byron to do whatever. We've never seen Tristan give Byron more time. Now, I think there could be a possible excuse for that, that Byron isn't really a part of this group. He doesn't want to be so... If if Tristan was giving Byron more time, it would possibly be when Victoria is not around. So we don't see it. But still, has Byron ever asked for more time? Has Byron ever, ever done this? Yeah. And if, I think this. Yeah. And if he would, would Tristan give it to him? <laughs> see, this is my and I'm I'm inferring a lot based on a relatively small amount that we know about Byron. But this is one of these things I love about Wildbo is, is I, I really don't think that it's. I think this is a toxic um, duality here. It's not just Tristan. It's the fact that Byron is the type of person who, w when you ask him for something, like more time, he'll give it, but he'll sulk and he'll be passive-aggressive, but he won't ask for time. He, he won't ask for it back. Like it's It's sort of his fault, too, because... The dynamic is only able to perpetuate because he he lets it. Does, you know, like I'm not trying to victim yeah. blame here, but like I really feel like Byron is is the worst person to be sharing a body with Tristan because <laughs> if it were someone else, then they'd just be like, "No, I, I I fucking told you that I wanted to go to the movie tonight, and I'm sick of your shit, Tristan." <laughs> and, and but like Byron, that 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 doesn't seem to it doesn't ever seem to reach that point or. Or what happens is it gets built up and up and up until somebody hires a hitman. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think we'll see that here in a couple chapters. I think we'll see yeah. exactly that mentality play out where yeah. he, he can't he won't ever actually put a stop to it. And yeah, and Tristan is happy to take advantage of that. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So we also learned that apparently Rain has made successful contact with Crystal Clear, who has just confirmed that he's in the prison spying and he didn't do any crimes, and that's my good Crystal Boy. I'm very yeah, happy. Yeah, yeah. Very happy. Yeah, we we knew it. We never doubted you, Crystal Clear. No, never. I want. Yeah, no, I never. 
So Crystal Clear <laughs> apparently uh, plugs Breakthrough in with the people who are keeping tabs on Goddess. And they show Victoria, uh, the, the team shows Victoria a Kinsey cam feed of the woman in blue, Goddess, uh, out of costume going grocery shopping. But despite the distance of the camera, she notices it and casually crushes it with her telekinesis. Oh, man. So I, I think this is a really important thing to do in this moment because we know so little of goddess and you know kind of what her powers are and how she works and so much of what we do know is just kind of told to us the characters say how powerful it is the characters say that she conquered a world i think it's it's really important to establish firmly um through showing her, her level of power and i think that's what wildbow is kind of giving us a hint of here um it, it, there's this 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 beat is really wonderful in how casual it is like there's kenzie saying goodbye the moment before it and then how this is written the hand that was holding the groceries twitched fingers going from a curled position to straight out like you can imagine just how kind of forceful but casual that gesture is and it, it does so much and i think it's so important that we we firmly start establishing this person can do some shit. Yeah. Right. And this, I mean, I think we talked about this way back in Worm that like this kind of telekinesis is broken. Yeah. Um, and, and does not appear with any other characters. Every other kind of t- kind of telekinesis in the story is very limited in a way that makes it clever and fun and, and balanced. This is just like Gene Gray shit right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, so apparently, though, uh, Goddess is just going about her routine, not really using her power much at all, except one occasion where she slipped away by flying underwater to do something clandestine. Yeah, and I think this is, again, going back to setting up some important stuff with Goddess. We, we talked about how we that I really felt that everything around her planet, her control isn't as simple and straightforward as as the team is making it seem to be. And and now we're seeing that goddess herself is not simple and straightforward. Like we have, we have Tristan asked this question, why lead a mundane life when you're that powerful? And that's a, that's a really interesting question that doesn't have a clear answer, but what it does is says there's a whole lot more going on with this person than any of our characters think. Yeah, I think so. Um, this next bit, I love this whole interaction. Uh, so Ashley has asked Kenzie to rewind the moment before goddess destroys the camera and uh we see anger a flash of it disdainful scared ashley said and not of the camera i don't see it i said i can almost see it chris said i i love this so much i think this is just a perfect way of differentiating the lens through which our characters view the world like we were talking about victoria sees this and can only see anger and disdain but in that same facial expression ashley sees fear and the fact that chris one of our two characters that that so often himself puts forth an angry front also sees or at least can almost see that that same fear I, I love that's such an important beat and it's so small and, and subtle, but I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're learning about, I mean, we, we know this about Ashley. We know how much of her bravado is essentially her scared little girl covering yeah. for, um, you know, cop- coping mechanism. And we suspect the same thing is true of Chris, I think. And, and Victoria can't see it and, sh- and Victoria can't see it even when it's shown to her, you know, like there's one thing it's like, I don't see it. Like, 
and then someone says, no, it's a boat. It's a magic eye puzzle boat. And you're like, oh, okay, I got it now. Um, It's another to where even when it's pointed out to you, you still don't see it. I think that says something very specific about how Victoria views things. Yeah. And it, or, or about me with magic eye puzzles because I can never see them. Uh, I'm not good with them. I like, I get them to come like to 3d out. Like I can see it moves into a three, but I just don't see what the image is. It just looks like (laughs) things floating in front of the paper. I think I've gotten to that point a couple of (laughs) times. I'm not good at it either. All right. Before we finish this chapter, you know, I had to talk about this line when Ashley says she's weaponizing the second chance. Uh Walking among us, disappearing into the crowd. She's gathering people and she's being subtle about it. She's too important to go completely unnoticed, but she's doing something here. She does have minions. She's just telling them to stay away. This is a fascinating. um, I don't want to say interpretation because it means it feels like if I'm saying interpretation that I'm saying Ashley's probably wrong here. But and I don't know if that but this idea that we gave everyone a second chance, everyone's getting to start over and and people will abuse that. People will abuse the fact that as long as you don't specifically break a crime, you have been forgiven for the things you've done. And I think it's very interesting that the one that notices this is actually the one who has so clearly out of any of these characters been literally given a second chance by the fact that she's a new person. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, Ashley is the most likely of them to have thought along these lines, too, because when we met her at the start of the story, she's like, yeah, I'm going to be a villain again. And in in a sense, she was also doing the same thing. You know, I think she's had a bit of a change of heart, if only because I don't actually know if she's had a change of heart. I know that she's actually cares about these other people now and she doesn't want to betray them. So that's that's a different thing from wanting to be a hero. Yeah. Um, But uh but she she probably can very much relate to this idea of, yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to take I'm going to fully take advantage of the second chance thing and I'm going to bide my time. Yeah. And so she she sees it when she sees somebody else doing yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it's very similar to the beat about her seeing the 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 flash of fear mm-hmm. that, that she recognizes something in this woman that no one else no one else sees because she sees a little bit of it in herself. And I yeah, yep. that's really fascinating. Yep. So this chapter wraps up with the bad news that many of the teams that had previously committed to them or had a working relationship with Breakthrough are pulling back due to some bad buzz surrounding Kenzie. So we started off these chapters with positivity. Everything was working out. Things were coming together. Teams were coming out of retirement. It was happening. And then this happens. Um, I think like... It's really like I think we know where a lot of the non capes are going to land with this whole thing. I, I'm curious. And as we move into these t- new chapters, we get some answers to this, but not entirely. Um, what a, what like how are the rest of the capes going to deal with this news? Like, I think there's this very interesting thing. Like, what if like Weld just can't deal with it? Mm-hmm. And and what does that do? What strain does that put on on Sveta's relationship with him? Because she's presumably going to stick up for her her teammate. Um, I just I, I we don't get an answer to that specific question. But th- these are the questions I had leaving this chapter is like, how are all their allies going to react to this? What will that do to what strain will that put on their relationships? And I think that remains to be seen in some examples, but we'll get answers to some of them now. <laughs> yes, now. 
we fast forward one week of podcasting and open <laughs> chapter 8.9. The team starts dealing with the crisis. Uh, meta comment. This is nine chapters into this arc and we may now be seeing the penny drop for what this arc is actually going to be. Um, we, a lot happens in these next two chapters yep. because things that have been spring-loaded start to trigger. We've got all the bad stuff and, and potential bad stuff that Kenzie has done uh, and that the team has tolerated coming home to roost. We've got tensions between Byron and Tristan coming to a flashpoint with some clear indications of how Tristan gets when his eye is on the prize. And we get stuff like this uh, where they're describing activities that Kenzie's been up to, breaking into secured systems, watching people, tapping into phone lines. I glanced at Natalie. Uh, so that is, the text is reminding us what a poor job they've done at using their legal counsel appropriately, despite claiming to want to be above board and how much this is going to bite them in the ass. And we just generally get to see how the various team members react to the kind of pressure um, that is, in some sense, the worst possible kind of pressure for team therapy. Because we know they can handle superpowered battles, but can they handle attention, blame, criticism? Yeah, I just wanted to let you go there because I completely agree with you. And I think it's a great way to establish what this chapter is. There's a real sense of chickens coming home to roost now. Um, we've had all these like background issues building and then we're in crisis mode now. And in crisis mode, all your background issues kind of f find themselves suddenly on the forefront. And I think particularly with Natalie, right, like we've we've been doing this really kind of slow burn with her throughout the book so far. These little beats of Victoria's frustration with her mixed in with these these digs about her fashion. And now suddenly there's like an actual legal issue and our lawyer has no idea how to handle it because she hasn't been properly informed. And you have these these thing these quotes where she's saying nobody's given me a number or even a ballpark estimate for these breaches. Natalie said with a bit more incredulity in her voice, someone explain, please. And Victoria's response to this is just kind of to hand wave it again. It was in the interest of tracking the, the earth sea attackers and maintaining the lines of communication lines of communication. We talked about some of this <laughs> and, and I think that really sells this whole thing so much to me like the incredulity which with natalie speaks the italicized like please in this sentence is italicized to give an emphasis she's she's begging and victoria's response is well we talked about some of this okay some's not all of it though yeah <laughs> it's right i mean basically you talked about the parts that you thought she would be okay with right and then the parts where you snuck cameras into a prison you probably didn't talk about because you knew she wouldn't like it yeah and so yeah <sighs> Oh my God. Yeah. And like Vic Victoria says this thing that actually just made me mad at her. Like, like I was just legitimately pissed off. And I, th I think, I think we're kind of supposed to be, but I had to pause my laptop a little annoyed that Natalie was making this a point now. Of course she's making it a point now it's coming up now. Like what, what, what do you mean? Like yeah, we're in crisis and you did crimes. So yeah, your lawyers bring up the crimes you did. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think, I think Victoria is actually annoyed with herself. Yeah. But like projecting. Because, yeah. Because she follows yeah. that. She follows that up with like, but I, I can see why she's doing it. Like she, she's yeah. like, I mean, like I, I respect that she's standing up for herself, but it's annoying that she's doing this right now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think that's the, that's the push and pull, the duality of Victoria. This like, Oh, why are you doing this now? 
okay, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, right. But you're getting in the way. Yeah. But but it's important to do things right. Yeah. But yeah, to get back on track, I think I think your point about um, this being the worst possible crisis for our team is a really, really important one. Um, if we go back to Victoria and how satisfied she was when she had a clear bad guy out there to punch. There's someone out there. He's clearly wrong. He's clearly bad. And I get to punch him in the face and I make the problem go away and I'll feel better. This crisis isn't that this isn't that kind of enemy. It's not that kind of fight. And it's one that I don't know if they're fully equipped to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that, that's what we're going to find out over these chapters, yeah. I think, is is like <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I think there are promising signs here. But things really haven't gotten to the point that they can get to, right? I mean, yeah. let, let's let's just get let's just get through it because, yeah. So, like the first thing the team does in response to this is discuss strategy and approach. They decide that they can handle this, whatever it is. The priority is basically preserving Kenzie's and the team's re- reputation, and then the second secondary priorities, uh, which are not trivial, include keeping together their nascent interteam alliance. And preparing to fight goddess and earth sheet. Yeah, which is a, a whole lot of stuff to juggle, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Especially for a team and a protagonist that already seem like stressed and pulled to the max. The big thing that jumped out to me here in the middle of their strategy was just how much they're downplaying how upset people are going to be about this whole thing. Um, Victoria says here that that hey, we just saved people from the portals. Um, we've got good goodwill from that. And that's going to outweigh anything that Kenzie has done. Um, they're, they're not going to burn her at the stake. At worst, it's a headache. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's hard to parse how much of the things you, the reader, know that our characters don't. But I think Team Breakthrough is either ignorant to or severely underestimating the level of anger and resentment amongst the general populace towards the Cape population right now. I'd say based on what we've seen, people are really just looking for an excuse to hate parahumans at this point. And they're going to take any, they're going to take any kernel they can get, whether it's her breaking into cameras, whether it's her story with her parents, they're ready. They're ready to burn some parahumans at the stake here. And they're just looking for an excuse. And I think this chapter has a lot of beats like this where we're reinforcing that things are not going to go the way our characters think they are. And and this feels like one of those moments to me. Yeah. Um, just also, I want to kind of highlight the, that phrasing. They're not going to burn her at the stake because of some of the imagery and language that's used elsewhere, um, mainly in toward the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next one. Yeah. Um, because that's kind of... Uh, uh thematically uh and 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 symbolically um interesting choice interesting word choice given i mean it makes sense right it's not a, it's not a stretch to use that that phrasing obviously but the point is uh this is a story where we have a lot of light and heat and fire imagery yeah no i think so. i think you're absolutely right that that's intentionally connecting back to our image of fire um and i mean a beacon is usually a fire, right? I mean, we're going to, yeah. we're going to see the, the beacon name come into play here at the end of this chapter once again. And I think this does indeed tie into that. Yeah. So speaking of burning Kenzie at the stake, uh, Kenzie is, is saying I could go to jail. Kenzie said as if it was just dawning on her, 
She sat back in her chair, the adjustable metal parts shaking audibly with the force of the movement. Her eyes widened, and she turned to look at Ashley's projection. No, Ashley said preemptively. Kenzie's eyes widened. I could go to your jail. Oh, geez, Rain said. No, Ashley repeated. It's not worth it. <laughs> I feel like we needed to at least bring this out. And, and I'm not saying that this is like definitive proof that Kenzie really hasn't learned as much as we were hoping she she would from the whole trying to murder someone to make Ashley feel better is a bad idea. But this definitely ain't a, a good look um, yeah. at all. And, yeah. and I think I think Rain is like quickly becoming like the detective Murtaugh of the group where he's just like the one reacting with incredulity to like, it's like, Oh man. There was one thing that, that jumped at. This is, this is, I think one of those moments where I am not actually using the text to support any argument here, but I got to thinking about, I wonder if Kenzie is like reckless, like, ex- like, more than normal rule breaking in these past few days, I guess. I don't know how long it's been. Might have been a conscious or subconscious desire to get caught and, and end up in prison. So she'd go to Ashley. I mean, like I said, there's nothing in the text that specifically supports that. That's just me, you know, spitballing. No, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, again, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of stuff in this, in these chapters seems to be pushing me to think way, way back to to the start of the story and you know what we knew about Kenzie at the start of the story was like she was she was she was like yeah Ashley sure uh you're you're you're, you're gonna give up on being a hero and you're gonna be a villain and I'm gonna be your subordinate and it's gonna be great <laughs> like that that was she had no problem with that yeah, at all yeah that was she wasn't even like hesitant and, and and we know her well enough to know that like somebody's paying attention to her that's all that's all she needs yeah so yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very, it's very unsettling. Um, but I do, I do love that Ashley preemptively gets there. Like she knows exactly yeah. where Kenzie's going and, and gets there. It's really great. Yeah. Ashley takes good care of her. Yeah. So now Victoria steps outside to make some phone calls and flies up into the sky to get better reception. So before we get into the phone calls and the phone call, um, I, I wanted to point out this moment cause I think it's important to connect all these beats together. Victoria has this moment where she's like almost mourning the loss of her grand idea. She says, I pushed for this network because it made fundamental sense to me. I knew it was an uphill fight to get it established. I knew there were outright nightmares coming when groups with views and perspectives as opposed as the shepherds and advance guard ended up butting heads. I knew that. I was wholly aware, both from real life experience and from parahuman studies, that any group of capes was going to be a drama fest at best, an implosion most of the time, an implosion with collateral damage at worst. But I wanted to try. Fucking damn it. So Victoria has, in this moment, she's fled the scene. She's said her teammates, between her teammates and Natalie, uh, there's too much pressure in there. I got to get out. I got, and that's a very Victoria thing to do, right? She. She tends to do this a lot when when she she gets away from bad situations. Um, and in the midst of all this, she's going over everything and she basically outlines why her plan was um, maybe never going to work in the first place. But then she says, 
but I'd wanted to try. And the context here, the, the, the wording here, I'd wanted to try. It's, it's very final. It's extremely past tense. Even in the middle of she's about to make calls to try to like gather people together and say, which of you still support us, which of you are still with us with this thing. I feel like Victoria in this moment is already thinking of her idea as failed. It's, it's, it's over. And I mean, I kind of get why she feels that way. It's been two days. They had one victory and then and then this and the bottom kind of has dropped out on them. I don't blame her for feeling that way, but I think that's that's where her headspace is in when she calls her mom is this is over. It's done. I, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be hard, but I wanted to try anyway. And look, here we are already. And it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she's calling her mom and it's almost like she's calling to to report her failure you know yeah, like yeah. like you know not not that she not that she has a great relationship with her mom but like i think on some level she still wants her mom's approval and and it's it's uh maybe a, a little bit of like um going to 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 report a, to give a bad report card you know yeah um yeah so she calls her mom <laughs> and they have a pretty fascinating conversation yep i think carol is good here i think she's She's purely supportive. She seems to be honestly introspective and self-critical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I we, we have to spend a lot of time on this. Like we can't not. Um, yeah. I, I think this is both really important from a, a perspective of a continuing evolution of these two characters. But I think even more so structurally where this conversation comes in Victoria's uh, like in her her like low moment i think is really it's it's very intentional and i love i love what i think it's saying um mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll get into all this but first i just wanted to talk about how much this entire thing plays with your expectations matt because victoria is in the middle of this crisis she's just left a room with like 20 problems in it and she just i can't deal with these problems right now i gotta go do this she's she's on the verge of giving up on her grand plan if she hasn't given up already she's out of sorts and and as she admits to herself she's flying into the air to seek disconnection we've talked about how every time she flies she she disconnects from the world and now she needs to be conscious of that well now she's seeking it and then she calls somebody on the phone and and wild bill kind of cutely hides who she's calling um until the first line until this moment where we see victoria my mom said, mm-hmm. and you're like, fuck, <laughs> because Victoria is, is strung out. She's stressed. And now she's talking on the phone with Carol. This is going to be a disaster. This is going to set back their relationship. All the little gains that they've made throughout the course of this book. It's all going to be gone. But the writing knows that you're thinking that and it's it's designed it that way. And then I think the conversation then goes forward to kind of systematically destroy those expectations and show just how far these characters have come. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this, I'm honestly surprised, um, at how it, it appears that the Carol has actually been trying to get better. Like there's no other way that she would have, pulled this off so well yeah. right yeah i mean because she's here she's calling or the reason she called and victoria is calling her back is to say yeah we had to pull out we had to pull out of this whole thing but it has nothing to do with you it, it's it's politics it's stuff going on in our cape group we can't stick our neck out 
And I think the important part, like we talked about the last successful conversation these two had back in 7.4, I think it was. The important part here is not just that Carol is doing better. I think the important part is that Victoria cuts her some slack, too, because she understands why her mother can't support the thing right now. She gets it. She gets the politics and she gets that sticking their necks out could have consequences for the team. And she doesn't push her on that. She doesn't get defensive on that. And Carol, again, to a credit, says, if you ask me to, I will. Your father will, but only if you need it. We will. We will stuck our necks out. We will risk being thrown off this team we just joined to stick with you and help you. If you truly need it, we will. Just let us know. And then she asks if she's upset, which is, again, another thing is like, I'm concerned about your feelings. I don't want to hurt you. Like, it's just it's such good communication. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of empathy, I think, being built up here between them because, you know, Carol tried to put a team together. It, it, fa- it failed. It was very painful. Um, and Victoria is is trying to do the same thing. It makes her proud that she's trying to do the same thing. And for Victoria's part, she can now empathize with what her mom went through. And they now share it. They essentially share this struggle yeah. um, between them. And it's something that they can connect over. And I think that's uh, important for their relationship. Yeah. And I wonder, I, I don't, I don't think so, but I wonder if, one of the things we're exploring with Carol is this living vicariously through Victoria thing. Um, her team that she tried to set up failed. Maybe her, her reasoning behind pushing Victoria towards this is, is less pure than we thought it was. I don't want to think that because I think, I don't think this conversation says that. I don't, I don't think the interaction we see and, and the, the trip down memory lane they go on holds that out, but I guess it could be a possibility. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, that, that occurred to me. It just doesn't seem like that nails the tone of what's happening here. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I, we have to say that the interaction is not perfect, Matt. Um, there's the moment when, when Carol is talking about how great at PR Tristan is and he's he's fit and good looking. And and Victoria immediately thinks that she's trying to set her up with him or something, um, which is not like I, I legitimately believe that that was not Carol's intent. Um, I know Carol has been sneaky with stuff before, but I think she was just like, this guy will look good on camera. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all she meant by it. Uh, I don't think in this moment she's worried about like hooking her her kid up with a boyfriend. Right. Yeah, I think she's suitably vague there. She's like, think about the possibilities there or something. Right. 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 And And it's like, yeah, that could mean a lot of things. Yeah. And then I think the moment, the, the tonal moment that really seals this for me, what you were talking about, that this is not um, Carol being selfish or living through or through her daughter or anything is the shared memory. This moment where they both kind of mourn the loss of Floor and, and talk about it and how it and Leviathan led to the, the death of New Wave. And, and we see Carol do like a Victoria zone out here. <laughs> we Like there's a pause on the phone and Victoria realizes that Carol's in the middle of a memory, too. I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's like mother, like daughter. They both kind of zone out when they're thinking about the past. Yeah. I wonder where Victoria gets it. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, but yeah, I think the important of this is that, um, they had, they had this big, bad thing happen to them. And then, uh, there was a narrative being built against them and they didn't fight it. They, they, they tried to just roll past it. They tried and it didn't work and it didn't work. And so that leads Carol to offering advice and, and Matt, 
she uh-huh. asks before she offers advice. Oh she calls she calls it unsolicited advice, but she asks first. She asks. It's such a huge deal that it's one of the things. It's one of the kind of the pressure points for Victoria that her mom just offers her advice without asking for it or without needing it or just like she's butting into her life and here she actually like respects her enough to ask first yeah yeah and and the the advice is don't make the same mistake we did if you're trying to build something defend the turf it's founded on don't let others decide what the narrative is don't fight it that's the path of cowards and tyrants and you don't want to appear to be either of those things and I just love this entire interaction. I love every part of it, Matt. I love, mm-hmm. um, she says, it's dangerous to do that given the current climate. I expected argument, retort, elaboration. Yes, she said, it is. Only confirmation. Th- th- this is beautiful. I expected argument, retort, elaboration. I got only confirmation. I expect her to, her to push me, to prod me, to argue with me. All I got was support. And that's this entire conversation in a nutshell, right? Like I think Victoria went into this thing expecting to fight with her mom and all she got was support. That's all she got. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I might be reading a weird, a weird slant, but like I almost thought when she called her mom, like I'm going to show her the bad report card and, and I'm going to get the tongue lashing that I deserve because I screwed up mm-hmm. and she almost expects, she almost wants it. I mean, why else would she call her if she expects it to be a fight? Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's not, she doesn't get what she, she doesn't get what she called for really. I mean, it, it, and it's only positive, but yeah. um, I, I think, I think it's very, it's very shocking to her. And I do think it's important that she called her mother. Like I know, Carol had called her and she was just calling her back. But so many of her interactions with her mom throughout the story so far have been her mom kind of butting in or or showing up to a place that she happened to be at. This is Victoria engage choosing to engage in conversation here. And yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. But so expanding out what this whole thing means, the reason I drew out that paragraph before we got into the phone conversation about her mourning the loss of her plan is because she has that mindset and then talks to her mom and her mom basically convinces her, no, you got to fight. You can't, you, you got, you got to stand up. You got to control the narrative. You, you have to, um, you don't, don't give up, defend, defend the thing that you've built. And I think this is, this is really telling because we talk so much about family in this story. There's a reason, Matt, that it's the theme for a fan art contest. Mm. Uh, and Victoria has so rarely found support from her biological family, so much so that she felt the need to look for it other places. One of the big reasons she joined this team is because she was looking for a place where she could belong. She was looking for her own family. And in this moment where her team is stressed out to the max and and she she needs to to get away from them because she can't handle it right now and and she's not sure how she's going to do it. She's not sure what she's going to do it in this moment where she chooses to disconnect from her team and from the world and fly up in the air. She talks to her mom and her mom is there for her. Her mom supports her. Her mom asks her if you need help. She listens to her concerns. She offers advice after giving permission. She's a mom here. She's she's her family. She is she this is what family is for. 
And I think that's such an important step in their relationship to happen here at one of her lowest points. Yeah, I think it's really interesting and and maybe saying something about the nature of family that Carol is and always would have been um, there for her in in this capacity. Right. But when it comes to like less important things, she's actually not so there for her. Yeah. Um, and it and and that's maybe just because Carol is like, well, I I recognize this as important, and maybe didn't recognize those other things as important. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I wonder what what the book could be saying, and and I, I we won't know for I don't know a a year. <laughs> um, about the differences between the family that you are stuck with and the family that you're you choose right with the differences Mm -hmm. between those two things and how those two things help you is is there um is there support that a member of the family you're stuck with can give you that you that in some cases you can't get from this from these people, the people you choose to surround yourself with. I wonder, I wonder what, what it has to say about that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think we're, I don't think we can have a, we have a definitive enough conclusion, you know, to, to say with any kind of certainty right now. But I think that's just something yeah. to keep in mind as we, as we explore the, the changing relationship between her and her team and between her and her family. Yeah. I like that. I like that question. It's a good thing to keep in mind as we, as we go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so after this awesome phone call, uh, she calls a couple of other teams, and I don't want to skip over the fact that uh, she calls the um, paint dinner team or whatever it's called. Paint fumes. Paint fumes, and says uh, Simpera was out, Fume Hood was in. Um, I just love that Fume Hood is is still in her corner. Yeah, Fume Hood is. Uh, she really earned loyal. She, I think, she really earned the loyalty of Fume Hood with her, you know, repeated good, you know, stand up behaviors. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, they had that. They, I think they really bonded in that moment in the the community center when they talked. Yeah. And and we're yeah, we're seeing that connection continue in yeah. these in yeah. these moments. And of course, the major malfunctions are in as well, like we said, because, of course, they are. Yep. So when Victoria comes back inside, it's evident that the team was looking at and discussing something that probably would make Victoria really uncomfortable. Uh, Scott, there's not a lot of things this could be about, right? Like, especially in this context. Yeah, I mean, if you ever have a question that involves the words uh, Victoria and uncomfortable, the answer starts with an A uh-huh. and ends with a me, Dallin. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's definitely something to do with Amy. Like, yeah, I mean, th- that that that's almost so where your mind goes that I wonder if that might be a misdirection, it but I could be, yeah, I, I feel like I'm doing that thing where I'm like, but what if it's not the thing that I think <laughs> it is? I think it probably just is that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the interesting part about to me is that Victoria doesn't make that leap. Like it, it feels like such an obvious mental leap that Victoria herself doesn't make. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's because she doesn't know she's in a book. Maybe that's why. Oh, um, yeah, no, <laughs> she doesn't. But my, my, I mean, my guess here is that Amy like heard about what the team was doing and heard about what was happening and maybe reached out and wanted to know if she could help. And they were discussing how the hell they were going to deal with that and what that means and what they were going to do with it. Um, that's my guess, at least. Yeah, yeah. 
I do like this little beat here where everyone's like shocked that she's back so soon because they're so used to her just like leaving when things get tough that they like they're like, what? You thought I left? No, I just went up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're that they've they've noticed they've noticed her character trait. Yeah. Of, of leaving. Yeah. Um, as a small note, before we move on, it's not like an analysis, but just a general like I love this world. Um. Whenever people are acting strange, we have to ask the question, is this some sort of stranger effect? <laughs> it's not just yeah. you guys acting weird. Is this some powers bullshit? Yeah. Although what's funny is that their explanation is like, no, it can't, it can't be because of reason, which could easily be circumvented by a power. Yeah, but whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Sveta convinces her not to press on asking what they were talking about. Victoria agrees to go along with it. Uh, Chris, though, seems really annoyed that she's willing to let it go like that. Yeah, the, I mean, that, that's a it's a very it, it's it's a very um, interesting reaction of him. Right. Like, I, I think you had a good point with this when we talked about this earlier. My, my initial takeaway on this was, hey, when I tell you to trust me and to just not not look further into it you would like refuse to back down but this person does and you're just like oh okay yeah no and and i like i like that take my take was that um chris probably actually thinks victoria is is pretty smart and is irritated and baffled (laughs) that someone who he thinks is smart would be so like credulous and perhaps even naive in his mind as to just trust someone when obviously people are hiding something from her and and like in Chris's mind who who other than yourself can you trust to know what to do with sensitive information you know because Chris Chris doesn't trust anyone um and and you know he's probably had some hard life lessons that have taught him not to trust anyone uh so if, if anything, we're just learning a lot about Chris and his mentality here. Yeah, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, he he says, uh, so, yeah, so so Victoria says, uh, basically, she's explaining why she's okay with it, and she says, because I trust them. There was something in the pa- There was someone in the past who told me something. I ignored them. I gave them a hug. Everything fell apart. My best friend tells me not to pry. Fine, I'll listen. Um, and it makes me wonder what will be the consequence of Victoria having chosen to ignore this mysterious thing that, yeah. that is being hidden from her because her motivation for ignoring it here is pretty complicated. Yeah, it's I mean, of course, everything seems to always go back to Amy. And this is another glimpse at, at just how much she blames herself for the things that happened, right? Like Amy told me to leave her alone and I didn't listen. And that's why this happened. And that's such a, like, it's such a, I mean, it it is, it is a very, very much the mentality that a lot of victims have and and things like this, but it's such a depressing and I think like dangerous outlook to have. And I hope she, I hope she finds a way to get past that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, but she's using that to, in a situation here where, man, I don't know if them hiding this stuff from her is very good. Like if it if it is Amy related and they don't think it's going to come to play with the stuff that's happening. But what if it does? Like what if they're going to go on TV here in a few chapters 
And what if Amy shows up? What if things related to what happened to Victoria are made public? And that's part of what the information was. And they she was she was it's a surprise to her because they made a call about keeping it from her in this moment i mean there's just so many ways in which holding back information from someone can blow up in your face and it's like i I don't i know you trust sveta i don't know if this was a good idea yeah i mean we even have sveta like looking guilty yeah or or uncertain about it and like even she isn't sure if she made the right call by telling victoria to to drop it yeah uh so yeah Makes me nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I like that Chris's many, many <laughs> online accounts and extremely online presence has become a plot point. Yeah, it, I, I like it too. And I think it's a beat to, to remind us of this or to inform people that for some crazy reason didn't read Glowworm. Are, yeah. Do those people, do they exist? Are I'm they out sure there? they don't. That's impossible. Yeah, why would you, why would you do that? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We, we've got this callback. We've got a lot of what my brain is interpreting as callbacks to Glowworm mm-hmm. in, in these chapters, which are, they're not even explicit. This is a more explicit one, but some of them are just like, Hey, this, this makes me think about that interaction between Ashley and, and Kenzie yeah. in the chat room. Um, so. well, I mean, I think, I think that the purpose of Glowworm was to kind of baseline a lot of these characters, right? So mm-hmm, as yeah. they're being pushed and prodded and and conflict is coming up, I think it makes sense to to want to compare it back to that original establishing moment of the character. So yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So uh, the idea of getting on the TV show where Kenzie's parents are going to make their stink uh, first comes up in the conversation at this point. Yeah, the, and, the, the, yeah. this was something I, I had and maybe I just read wrong. Like I'm fully willing to read that I read wrong, but I was confused as to how this actually went down because they said, oh, we should go on the TV show against them. And and so so they don't control the narrative. And then they're told, no, they don't want us. And then they're like and then they like regroup and are like, OK, well, maybe like there's that entire conversation about, well, maybe we need to like like get down to their level and and tell them some juicy narrative that convinces them they want us on the show but we never really see that happen and then like the next chapter is just like okay we're going on the show now and i i had trouble following that yeah i'm i'm not entirely sure it might be two different shows actually that they're talking about could be um i'm not super clear on it but i i kind of i can buy your explanation that like okay yeah maybe they just came up with their spin and called them back. Yeah. I mean like, like Victoria, like almost refused to play that game. She's like, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's necessary. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm just going to offer us up as the sacrificial goats. Um, (laughs) And, and so she gets the other, she gets the other team's permission to do this, but I guess we never see the part where the studio's like, Oh yeah. Okay. And again, this is probably just my bad reading comprehension that I just missed it, but I, I had trouble parsing that. Yeah, we definitely skip through time a lot in these chapters, yeah. so it's possible we just missed that scene. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, so, go ahead. So in reaction to this plan, Rain says, you're putting out a fire by dropping a bonfire on it. Um, and Victoria <laughs> likes this, she likes does. this metaphor and, and says, bonfire. Yeah, I like that analogy. 
they want to burn us, let's show show them just how bright we can get. Yeah, like a beacon, like a beacon, Matt. <laughs> like a beacon, yeah. But I mean, yeah, we're. I think I think it's so it's so wonderful that you specifically mentioned the um uh, the burn them at the stake imagery from earlier, and now we've got yeah. this that we're we're going. If you want to burn us, we're going to burn as bright as we possibly can. And this this imagery like continues through the almost the entirety of the next chapter in yeah. in wonderful ways talking about about fire and and light i i love i love how these these are used in this book i love it so much yeah i mean the first thing that happens as 8.10 opens is you know victoria flies home to pick up some things uh ashley's you know apartment that is uh then back to base and we pick up right here with everything is on fire <laughs> yeah um, well, Victoria, you did say you wanted to show everybody how bright you can burn. Yeah, I think it, it is. It is really great that we go right from, well, we're going to burn brightly then. Oh, God, it's all on fire. What did I do? Um, yeah. I, this this also, I think, really kind of establishes something that I think is done a couple times in this chapter is hints at how this whole thing's going to go. Um, I, I don't I think the answer is it's not going to go super well. Um but we use we use the fire imagery to to kind of indicate that. But I think the, the reason why I like we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago, how Wild Bo uses these things. And the reason that I like the fire imagery and the light imagery and all these things is because these things have so many different meanings and they can mean different things in different situations. And I think he he's using that to its full extent here to to give this th- this imagery through line throughout this entire story similar to how we did it in worm and i just i like it so much because like like we said at the beginning of this arc beacon can mean so many different things yeah fire can mean so many different things light can mean light can be blinding but also can be illuminating like there's so many different meanings of these things yeah i mean even her comment if they want to burn us let's show them just how bright we can get like depending on how this goes that could either on rereads read as like yeah victoria yeah or like oh god victoria you you have no idea what you're getting yeah, into you know? exactly and, yeah exactly yeah like it it's because because of the double connotation of it you know sure yeah, exactly I, I love that so yeah um victoria wading back into the chaos feels that she has to be a pillar mm-hmm. um but byron and tristan are arguing about details of presentation as she walks in oh, and i really like what we're doing here like th- this whole thing is pulling at our characters like we said there's crisis now our characters are being stressed to the max and victoria already feeling like she's being pulled in a hundred different directions now feels like she has to hold up this entire thing for everyone on her team and then we have Byron and Tristan fighting openly. And and this is something I don't think we've ever seen before. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think we've ever seen them like have an argument while switching back and forth before. Um, not really like not like this. I don't think yeah. we I mean, we've seen them like have we've seen the, the written down arguments and we I think we've seen them like occasionally talk by switching back and forth. But they're like a full drawn out public fight where they're like one person saying something and then we switch and the other person responds angry and then we switch back. I don't think we've seen yeah. that before. Yeah, no, I don't think we've seen this before. And yeah. and it's like we said before, it's this moment of tension where Tristan is just bulldozing over Byron, yep. basically. Yep. Yep. Um, so also here we have uh, the most 
Natalie has ever talked about herself here. <laughs> yeah. Where um, she's she's kind of like explaining why certain things don't bother her. And she says, it's not anything fancy. I'm anxious about the stupidest stuff and I can get Zen with routine work and chores. Uh, there may be th- there are maybe three times in my life something horrible happened near me and I kept my cool while other people were breaking down. That's basically it. Um, it's just it, it's it's not so much for the content as the fact that she in this moment gives this like fairly open kind of sharing of herself. Yeah. And I think this is like the, one of the first times the group has ever asked to like they've like stopped and asked her a, a question and asked for her opinion on something that wasn't just law related. Like, I think this is the first time they treat her as a person and not just the lawyer. And and maybe that's why she finally feels like, it, it, it seems like how readily she gives up this information. She's like itching to share with these people. She's itching to connect with these people. She's itching to for them to get to know her and for her to get to know them. And the first time they ask her a question, that's not some legal thing. Like they're asking, they're asking her her perspective as a human being. You're a, a not cape. You're, you're a human. Um, if you saw this, what, how would your reaction be to it? And they actually care. They actually care about her response. And they it's it's like she's basically a member of this team, Matt, and they've never treated her like that. They've never treated her like a hu- a person. And the first time they do, she opens up. And I think that's that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My I, in fact, I think it's safe to say my attitude about Natalie shifted a bit in this chapter, um, starting with this point. Well, good, because. She clearly loves capes, Matt, and I was right, and you were you were wrong. All right, we'll we'll see, Scott. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, yeah. So Swan Song is trying to put together how she wants her holographic costume to look, and it comes up that Ashley is planning on coming along on the TV show. Yeah. And Victoria thinks there are some issues. Yeah, there's some issues. <laughs> I I mean, it's pretty obvious why having Ashley on TV is a bad idea. Like, not only does she have the rap sheet of a violent villain? Not only is she in prison at this very moment for killing somebody, but she's also their most volatile member, prone to say the wrong things and mess up the image that Victoria is trying to carefully construct. But also, if Victoria follows this line of reasoning, then kind of none of them should be on TV because they all have their glaring flaws. Like if, if you're going to say no to Ashley, then... Where do you draw the line of acceptability? Capricorn's probably murder. Sveta has them all beat in terms of kill count. And I'm somehow even more worried about the team members whose whose uh, deeds we're not actually familiar with. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she says she she says she's okay with it. She says, yeah, okay, Ashley can come. But Rain and Sveta actually won't be coming. Um, but that's more for what you might call personal reasons. So what I'm getting from you is that this is a really, really bad, bad idea. And our team definitely should not do this. Oh, you know, I mean, I think, I think it would be awesome to see (laughs) Ashley on television. You know, that's, I do depends on what you mean. I do think it's very fascinating that the PR decision is look at this member of our team. She used to be in the slaughterhouse nine. Remember them? We're good. 
Yeah. Like, right. like I, I, I think there's a, a really wonderful opportunity here to kind of demonstrate through Ashley the power of, of change, the power of recovery. But I don't know if human beings are capable of understanding that nuance through a, a talk show, you know? I, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just I, I like I like I get the reasoning for why they want to bring her, but I I I get why Ashley not being on the show is probably a good idea even more. Although she she does end up looking like fabulous, so maybe maybe that's that outweighs everything. I mean, I definitely get why Victoria goes along with it yeah. though. Like that's that's completely consistent, sure. and 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 you're like you're like yeah. I mean, she's she's not even that conflicted over it. She's briefly. She's br- briefly conflicted because she she realizes th- the risk of it, but then she also is, is like, yeah, it's it's not, it it hurts our team more for me to be against this actually. Yeah. 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 So for all the chaos and loudness of their preparations, the team is actually pretty functional here. There are disagreements between the the characters, but they they don't escalate. Emotions are high, but people aren't lashing out and hurting feelings. They're just. They're just solving the problems and they're, and they're stressed. Yeah, I think that's a pretty astute observation. The, the, they're all a bit like sharper in how they talk mm-hmm. to each other. Um, but, it, but it's not like it's not to the extent where it's hurting their ability to, to prepare. They're nervous, they're stressed and they're, and they're fighting because of this. But yeah, it's not it's not like a debilitating type of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of worrying stuff going on. Like we said, Byron and Tristan are still fighting. And there's this whole exchange here where Byron shakes his head and says, there are three things here I have issues with. Your armor is heavy and I'm not that strong. Why are you in the spotlight when I'm supposed to be getting the extra hours tonight? And why? Really, why is it so important I wear the armor? He switched back to Tristan. No immediate reply from the Boulder brother, but Tristan's hand was in motion, like an orchestral conductor with a stick. Flick, flick, stop. So he doesn't answer these questions. Yeah. He, he like, what was your interpre- interpretation of the conductor thing? Like, I, I, I was like, he's just playing thought, like it's just uh, he's playing this, the song. He's just playing that whining song or something. I, I, I was I thought maybe that had to do with the cell phone, like, like costume selection thing. Like, like they were like, he was helping Ashley with her costume and he was also flicking things. I, I, I wasn't, that, that, that was my assumption, but, but he, it was actually Ashley who was supposed to be determining her costume. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I read it is he's like, I mean, it, it's <laughs> like, he's like playing him, right? Like he's conducting him almost. And I don't know, that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> Yeah, or, or or just like being extremely dismissive and almost sarcastic right, toward him. Exactly. Yeah. I, th- I mean, that's what it was. And and yeah. this this in this moment, like he and he and Victoria lock eyes, and we see there's a light in his eye. There's more light imagery. Um, this is what he. This is like all he cares about. This is why he exists. This is why he's doing this. His moments like this. This is his purpose. She says, and in that in that moment the concerns of his brother just don't matter anymore he doesn't care and like you said byron is passive enough that he's not going to push back on it um mm-hmm. and 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 he'll take full advantage of it and I, like i i don't think i don't think that the tv show is 
going to be the moment that this all boils over. Like, I don't think the, the I, I don't think the Tristan Byron conversation is going to blow up like on stage or something. But I think if they get through this whole thing, Team Breakthrough is going to have a Capricorn problem real soon because this is this is we've been watching how stressed these two characters were and how close these two guys were to the edge. And this is there's no way this makes it better. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we move things along. They arrive at the TV station. Uh, Victoria reflects on how she thinks that she would get um she would kind of understand she'd get a hint of whether somebody was a cape if she saw them out of costume. And she doesn't think that Buckner, the media mogul is one. This is one of those, um, <laughs> just a journey through the lens of Victoria. <laughs> yeah. I think this is fascinating because throughout this, this thing, she, she makes, she kind of makes a dig at her mom because she says, um, you can't, you can't be, like important you can't have like a full-time important job and be a cape without something slipping and she points to her mom at that but then she she goes off on this guy who owns who owns a media empire and says buckner was a storm of multimedia a finger in a hundred pies and he spent a lot of time trying to promote and investigate side things he went to concerts with new bands playing sponsoring them and he had photos taken with him and the band on stage at the end of the night artists actors movie ideas too inane to be a cape <laughs> so god victoria doesn't like non-capes very much does she i mean like yeah. like the, the the it's so fascinating to this like this is a little side digression that really is just establishing some character traits of our protagonist here yeah capes don't like inane things yeah well and it's also interesting that she's like He's a he's a he has a multimedia empire and his side projects involve media stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she basically what she's basically saying is things that humans care about are inane. Yeah. Like no no cape would care about this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's it's pretty bad. Like, it's pretty bad, Victoria. Freaking capist. I know. Wait. Does that work? Yeah. Humanist. I don't know. I think it's, I think it works. I just think it's, it's just a fascinating, like, and again, I think having this in this moment, having this beat in this moment to me shows that a, a person like Victoria explaining to humans why capes aren't that bad when she clearly finds capes just superior to humans. It's just, <laughs> I, I just don't think I just don't think this thing's gonna go well. I just I just yeah. don't. So there are some flags. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so as she's as we're entering the studio, she also describes the costumes and appearance of the team, all gussied up to appear on TV. Uh also she notes that Kenzie now literally has eyes in the back of her head <laughs> thanks to adapting Rain's contact pad tech. Yeah, everyone looks looks awesome. I, I love the descriptions of everyone's stuff, but I think we speculated a while ago that perhaps the secret to Rain's tinker power was actually the, those uh, connections, not the shitty arms themselves. And it, so it's it's kind of cool seeing this used by another tinker, but also like worrying. Yeah. Kenzie getting more tools to be constantly aware of everything that's around her doesn't strike right. me as a, a good thing for her mental health. Yeah, that's true. Now she can lie in bed with her eyes closed and still be watching everyone. Hooray. That's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Victoria now asks one of the assistants, Kaylor, for tips and kind of cajoles them into giving her some. Um, basically, just pay attention to this one particular panelist, look out for traps, speak clearly, um, kind of just good advice. Yeah, yeah. And I think and, it, it, it also establishes like uh, stakes a little bit. And, and now we have the names of the people she's going to be talking with in the next chapter and, and kind of what their thing is. So we go into that conversation knowing this. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, and I like this bit a lot after that conversation ends. Uh, Ashley's kind of giving her a look and, sh- and Victoria says, ask someone for help and they're in your debt. Not the other way around. People want to be helpful, I said. That might just be you. It's true of all of us. Helping us made her feel more important. It made her a part of things. People are grateful for that. There's no use in it for me, she said. I'm not the type to ask for help. If you ever feel the need, remember that the other person is probably waiting for you to do it. She offered a dismissive sniff of the nose and shook her head. <laughs> just perfect character interaction. Yeah, I mean, right it's like, it's. I think it's the it's the perfect distillation of the differences in their characters in that. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's like the idea that Victoria, as much as she clearly likes capes more than people, I think Victoria has a generally positive view of humanity in general. Like people want this, this idea that people want to be helpful, like is, is a mindset that almost declaring that people in essence are good and evil is the exception to that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's an extremely positive outlook on life. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this conversation, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, Scott, this conversation reminds me of their interaction in Glowworm (laughs) where, where they're, they're basically saying very similar things to each other. That's, that is, that is really true. uh, Wow. About helping people. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Very similar interaction actually. It is. Yep. So now Gary needs people yelled at me. Is oh, it, they it, yelled so much. Is it? I don't. I'm gonna say. I don't know how to say his name. Okay, Gary shows up. Uh, there's a great scene of conflict here. Gary is hostile, and Lookout plays video and audio of some of the abuse her parents inflicted on her. And it's hard to tell whether Gary is actually bothered by this because he's trying to stonewall against it. You know. But is he stonewalling because he thinks it's a lie or because he thinks it's not a lie, but he doesn't want to be swayed by it? Yeah, that's um, it's interesting. I, I don't. Here's what I'll say about Gary. I think he's a fascinatingly well-drawn character. And we talked about this the last time we interacted with him. But I just he's such a fucking douchebag but I also can't help but consistently understand where he's coming from. Like in this scenario, I think he is dismissive. He ignores what Kenzie is saying. He doesn't seem to care. He seems like he's already made up his mind, but we are in a position of authority here. First of all, we're in Victoria's mind. We know that Kenzie is telling the truth. Um, and that's not, that's not a place where Gary is. And and there's this like this. Mo- I, I love this moment where where he's saying, I would say she brought them into it by a campaign of extortion. They're small, vulnerable people in a world with terrible giants that explore exploit or compound vulnerabilities. 
A terrible giant, Ashley said, her voice dry. She indicated Lookout, who was all of four foot ten and seventy-five pounds. Look, Ashley, he's he's being metaphorical. Like it's it's not like a cape has to be big to fuck people up. Like there are plenty of normal sized and bone saw sized capes that fucked plenty of people up. He was speaking in metaphor. So like that's not an actual like argument. Um it's a good it's a good dig though. I mean, yes, it is a good dig. I mean, well done, Ashley. But like he obviously <laughs> wasn't meaning literally giants. Yeah. And and the scene where Kenzie gives him the audio, like like I said, we know she's telling the truth. But yeah. all Gary knows about Kenzie is she's willing to falsify evidence to prove her point. So like why in this instance should she be should he be like, okay, I believe you this time? Like, wh- why should he? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, he, especially where he's coming from, he's, he, he's been, he's been marshalling his reasons for the opposite stance. And at this point, this is not something that he's going to be open to. Yeah. And he, he's the kind of person who's just a very, um, we know this about him already, that he's, he, that he's the kind of person who takes a side and then that's his side. Right. And he, and he's not he's not he's not a truth seeker. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a side taker. Yeah, and and I do I do absolutely still think that his his extreme hatred of capes is blinding his ability to to see anything but through that lens of hatred. But I also like once again, I think this 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 stuff is constructed to where I get why he's reached these conclusions. It's just that he can't be talked out of them once he's reached them. And I think what this does to me overall is show that once and for all, I'll declare it for the last time tonight that I don't think this show is going to go very well. If Gary is representative of the general Cape sentiment amongst the, the non-powered populace, then you could argue nobody's interested in the truth anymore. They're not interested in, in reason. They're not interested in, in your side of things. They've already made up their mind and every little bit of evidence you show them, even if it contradicts your opinion will be tossed aside. That's fake. That's fake news. I mean, like that's, that's where we're at and that's where things are going to go. So, I mean, I think that our team is going to stand up on the stage and I think they're going to do a great job. I honestly believe that. I think they're going to answer questions succinctly. I think they're going to make powerful, well-constructed arguments. Um, I think they, they generally know what they're doing here. I think that's going to happen. But I don't think it's going to matter because people have already made up their minds. And I think that's what this interaction with Gary is showing us. Yeah, right. I mean, he's, I, I like that a lot that he's he's serving as for some time, actually, he's he's kind of the, the voice of, of the populace, right? Yeah. Like he was the one who spoke up in the crowd, but he was just saying what everybody else was kind of thinking. And the fact that he reacts this way does tell us a lot about how people are going to react, I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a good point. It's a bummer. Yeah, I really do like that Natalie calls him a dick bag, though. Yeah, uh, that 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 tiny little thing, tiny little one sentence from Natalie really uh, one word actually really clarifies where Natalie stands on all these things, because, you know, I, I I was pretty convinced that she was just as irritated with these guys as Gary was. But turns out, no, no. And I think what we're seeing here as an, a, an extension 
of her sharing this personal information earlier in the chapter and them kind of extending um, space to her to be a part of this group. Actually, she's on their side and, and maybe Natalie's a member of the team now. And I think that, I think that gives me hope for Victoria's uh, interactions with the non-powered. I mean, if she can get to a place where she like, considers Natalie a member of the team and respects her on some level, I think that gives me hope. Um, even, even after she's clearly like capist as shit. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's hope, I think. Yeah. And, uh, as we exit this scene of, of hope, we follow Victoria through the studio and into the hot lamps and bright spotlights that leave her momentarily blind with yet more light and heat and fire imagery oh, it's just so perfect isn't it i can't wait to see yeah. h- how we carry that forward it's so it's yeah. so wonderful i know all right that wraps up these four chapters oh, we did it. of beacon yeah let's let's finish up with some name game uh we have caryatid i just looked up the pronunciation i'm pretty sure that's right uh, a stone carving of a draped female figure used as a pillar to support the entablature of a greek or greek style building Hey, that makes um, sense, given her power. Yes. Yes, it does. I, uh, gonna be honest, I, I, for some reason, my brain, like, thought that that referred to some kind of insect. Huh. Yeah. I guess that makes let's just, sense. Let's just move it on. sounds a in, in y Yeah, but it's not. It's not. Let's not. Let's not try to smooth over what the fact that I was wrong. All right. <laughs> Discussion question for this week: How would you handle a PR problem with your Cape team? This is. I think this is going to be a fun one. Um. This is. Yeah. This is less serious. This is more hypothetical. Yeah. Yeah. What's What's yeah, the proper way for Capes to handle PR crises? Yeah. Yeah. Let us know what what your uh you know incorrigible former criminal member did and how you're going to deal with it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Give us the full, the full scenario. Have fun with it. Yeah. This is is like a writing exercise. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Gradually transform this into a writing prompt show. (laughs) And uh, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on twitter at gotwormpod my personal twitter is at scottdaily85 and matt's is at mordinamail or you can contact him at gary nieves nieves if you're not already subscribed to we've got war we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode you can find us on itunes stitcher youtube google play and pretty much Anywhere else you can listen to podcasts, I will say that we're doing some kind of Zeno's Paradox thing with the YouTube channel subscriptions right now where they're just approaching but never reaching 1,000. So oh, yeah. if you just want to head over there, click that subscribe button, get us over 1,000, it is virtually meaningless other than just being a number that I want to get past. Yeah, so, it's like the number. It's like you, yeah. you're not a serious YouTuber unless you have 1,000 subscriptions. So. Exactly. Thank you. So yeah, if, if you even if you don't listen on YouTube, head over there, click that button. And then you'll never miss our book clubs. Yeah. We'll owe you a, a high five next time we see you. Yeah. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at 
doofmedia.com. This week on our other podcast, Vow to View, Elise and I celebrate the Doof Media reboot by uh, talking about some of our favorite reboots. I'm bringing The Fly and Elise is bringing some, I don't know, some princess movie. I don't know. I don't know. Also, Matt, the Doofcast relaunches on Friday. All right. We're talking about the fifth element. It'll be, Ooh. I think it'll be me, you and Michael talking about that. It's going to be yeah, really we, fun. We watched that actually. I'm excited. Um, and then uh, yeah. Weaver Dice episode four is coming soon ish. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get that to you, Matt. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. And if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doof media. It's different now. Yes. It's all, everything's doof media. And the now. old one does not redirect, unfortunately. So you will yeah. have to type that in. Yeah. But yeah, you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can, you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoofs. Bidoof. Bidoofs. Uh, Zondraxer and Abigail at the $1 and $2 levels, respectively. Uh, Doof Troopers... Andrej and Zazer at the $10 level and Doof Warriors Connor, Andy and Zach um, at either donating at or upgrading to the $20 level and also uh, Marcus upgrading to the $20 level. Thank you so much. That is uh, that is amazing. Thank yeah, you so that much, was all, all of you. I mean, we took two weeks off and got a, a bunch of donations. So maybe we should we should do that more often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. I, we really appreciate it, you guys. Uh, I'm looking at the, the list of people we owe uh, Doofcast shows to, and I'm like, oh, God, we got we to gotta really start <laughs> pounding these out, man. Um, yeah. We really appreciate it, though. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. And as always, uh, make sure you go over to Wildbow's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbow, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead go on a television show and talk about us because we need the PR. Or you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. We've got a couple this week, Matt. It was our uh, our international ones came in for the month. So first we have a perfect blue who gives us five stars and said, I just started listening to this podcast during the live publication of Ward, and it's everything a podcast should be. Makes you feel like there are other people out there who think about stuff like you and moreover know what they're talking about. Hey. Listening to these guys inspired me to reread Worm and listen to We've Got Worm after each chapter because it's helping me appreciate the subtleties of the writing I didn't get myself. Well, thanks, A Perfect Blue. That's so nice of you. Yeah. And Anexius, who also gives us five stars and says, it's thanks to you that I you two that I enjoy Ward considerably more than I probably would have. Don't get me wrong. I already loved World Ward. I mean, who wouldn't? But when you two point out all the key features that most people, including me, would miss, it just makes me... It just makes the text that much better. Plus, your gameplay of Weaver Dice is super entertaining as well. Never stop, Daily Planet. Oh, no. We stopped. We stopped being Daily Planet. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I appreciate that feedback, though, that, you know, that 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 I appreciate that we can serve that role for people because, yeah. like, that's one of my my issues with serials and, like, keeping up with serials is that I I just read them and I don't think about them again. And that's bad yeah it's better to it's better to think about I, it. this is a, 
Sorry. Good way of doing Sorry, that. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. I agree. No, no. I, I totally agree. Thank you guys so much. Um, thank you to everyone who takes time to give us those rating and reviews. They really do help other people find our podcast. The more reviews we have, uh, the more legit we look when people go searching for podcasts. So thank you for taking the time. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And that's it for the show this week. Next time, we'll be covering 8.11 and whatever chapter comes after that. usually i mean 12 usually follows 11 that mm. just, does it though? just generally, generally what number system <laughs>